Chapter 9 Fish Tales I don't think even the flu could have sickened me as much as what I was seeing. In shock, I stood in the middle of Main Street. Hattie and Walter? But he was always putting her down, belittling her, at times even going out of his way to needle her. How was it she could hold his hand while mine remained empty? A frothing concoction of rage and betrayal and hopeless inadequacy surged through my viscera. I didn't know if I wanted to scream or cry or punch my brother, perhaps all three at once. But before any explosion occurred, those thundering sensations were swept away by something quieter, yet somehow more substantial. To this day, I still have never found the word which adequately describes the paradox which sprang to life inside me that day. I was, at the same time, both numb and in tremendous pain. Empty, yet overflowing with bitter gall. I was paralyzed, but no, my legs were moving. They were even carrying me forward, toward the waking nightmare. Walter and Hattie had their backs turned to me. They had no idea I was approaching. A jealous daze clung like fog to my brain, and I hadn't a clue what I might do. I wondered if this was how Cain had felt before he struck his brother Abel dead. All I had to do was find a big rock and... Peter! Hattie shrieked, shattering my fratricidal trance. She must have sensed me coming up behind them, because she had thrown a purposeful glance over her shoulder. As if Hattie's hand had burst spontaneously into flame, Walter threw it away from his own. Whirling about, he glowered at me suspiciously. What are you doing? Spying on us? he demanded. Ah, no, just catching up, like I said, I replied thickly my tongue sticking to the roof of my desiccated mouth. Walter's initial surprise faded, and his anger softened. Oh, right. Well, come on, then. Aren't you going home, Hattie? I asked. We already passed your street. We already stopped there, she cheerfully chirped. Didn't you notice my school bag was gone? We asked Mrs. Jansen if she could come over, Walter added. She said it was okay as long as Hattie's back for supper. Without another word, Walter shoved his hands into his trouser pockets and led us down Main Street. Hattie stayed by his side while I fell into my rightful place, which was apparently behind them. A two-minute silence followed, one which Hattie broke when she announced, I think we should go back to working on the treehouse today. Nah, we can do that another time said Walter. Despite the previous hand-holding, he refused to meet her eyes. Hattie, on the other hand, gave him such a glare she could have drilled a well with it. Why not? she challenged, crossing her arms in a huff. I need to practice climbing rocks today, Walter answered matter-of-factly. There's lots of rocks in Yosemite Park, and I want to be ready for when we visit. You can climb dumb old rocks when I'm not there, she countered. Today I want to build our treehouse. Your treehouse, not mine, 
Walter protested. I never wanted to build it in the first place. I said it was a dumb idea, remember? It's not a dumb idea. Fine, said Walter. We don't have to climb rocks. We can go fishing instead. That's something else I need to practice before I go out west next summer. I almost fell over in disbelief. What was he doing? Had he placed a sizable bet against himself? He knew as well as I did how much Hattie hated fishing. But she was stuck on his earlier comment. Why do you think all my ideas are dumb? Whenever I want to do anything, you never listen. You either tell me it's stupid or we'll play it later. But later never comes. Just dug up a stash of worms yesterday, said Walter, as if he were having an entirely different conversation. Want to use them before they dry up. The introduction of worms, another of Hattie's great dislikes, was too much for her. She planted her heels so firmly in the road that I nearly ran her over. You're a real goop. You know that, Walter? She was in full fume. Ire reddened her cheeks, and tears welled in her grass-green eyes. What? No one's making you come, you know. You were the one who asked me. I was just trying to be nice. The first tear cascaded down Hattie's cheek as she cried, Fine! Then I'll just go home. Suit yourself, Walter replied coolly. Hattie clenched her fists. A shriek of frustration burst through her lips before she said, rather darkly, Have fun fishing. I hope you drown, you damn simp. Walter and I watched Hattie storm back the direction we had come. Neither of us had ever heard her curse before, and the shock of it rendered our legs useless. Only when I was sure Hattie was beyond earshot did I ask, What did you do that for? You know she hates fishing. Yeah, I know. Walter sounded unsure whether he was annoyed or miserable. Come on, let's go home. I wanted to tell him that I had seen their hand-holding, but I imagined doing so would only draw his foul mood upon myself. Besides, I had an inkling he already knew what I had witnessed, and that it may have played a role in his treating Hattie so nastily. We traveled a long way in silence after that. Only when we had turned off the main road and were passing beneath Asphodel Glade's Iron Gateway sign did I finally dare to speak. I overheard Miss Carrington talking to Mr. Lassiter after school, I said. That's why I took so long. Surprisingly, Walter seemed welcoming of any conversation that would extract him from his own brooding thoughts. He asked, Did she kick that idiot out of school? I laughed. It was weird, but I felt like we were suddenly on the same team. In her own way, Hattie had rejected us both that afternoon. Or perhaps the old adage is correct, and misery really does love company. The only difference between us was that I was an innocent victim, whereas Walter had pulled the lever to drop the guillotine onto his own neck. She didn't expel him, I answered him. But I did hear them talking about the flu. Flu's old news. The way they were talking, it sounded like it's coming back. And, I realized, 
so was that sickly fear which had gripped my heart whilst eavesdropping. What if Jeremiah's right? What if it's worse this time? The only time that shitbrain's been right about anything was when he accidentally wandered into the first-grade math class, Walter replied dismissively. Maybe, but even Mr. Lassiter sounded scared. Mama said there's nothing to be scared of. You think she's a liar? Well, no, but... So don't be scared. Walter had a way of clamping down any opposing thought or even measured discussion. When it came to his friends or siblings, whatever he said was the final word on the matter. Perhaps the only word that did matter to him. The most infuriating part about it was that, 19 times out of 20, he was right. When we arrived at Asphodel Hall, we found Mama and Pip painting on large sheets of canvas they had spread across the front porch. The lucky little bastard still had one year of educationless bliss remaining before he would join the poor souls in the lower-grade classroom. For the present, he spent his days at the mercy of Mama, who made sure he was tortured aplenty with children's books, games, arts and crafts, snacks, and trips to Schrader's grocery. Hi, Mama, Walter called happily as he bounded ahead of me up the porch stairs. Hi, Wowie, she said, standing to give him a squeeze. How was school today? Boring, same as always. When Mama hugged me and asked the same question, I gave a similar response. I said nothing of the conversation I'd overheard. Want to go fishing, Pip? Walter asked our paint-smeared brother. Me and Peter are going to use those worms we dug up yesterday. Pip's nose crinkled in disgust. He was an atypical four-year-old boy, with absolutely no interest in creepy, crawly, or slimy things. Suit yourself, said Walter. Turning to Mama, he asked, If I catch a really big one, can we eat it tonight? Mama laughed gaily. I don't know how well it'll pair with Abigail's roast, but we could try it. Her response set a glow upon Walter, such as Hattie never could have done. It was as if his spat with her hadn't happened at all, as he cheerily exclaimed, Come on, Peter. Have fun, but be safe down by the water, cautioned Mama, and stay close enough to the house that I can call you in when dinner's ready. Oh, I'll be back before then, Walter said confidently, and with the biggest fish you've ever seen. We ditched our school bags right there on the front porch. Daddy would have lectured us for not storing them properly in our rooms, but we knew that Mama would take care of that for us long before he came home. She was the great enabler, and often the pusher, of our boyhood's impulsive irresponsibility. Unlike other women of the time, she existed not to cook and clean, nor to take care of household chores or even to serve her husband. Rosalie Luther lived for her boys and for whatever joys she might impart upon them. When our hearts were full, so was hers. Down at the lake shore, Kalamazoo bait-casting rods in hand, Walter and I spaced ourselves a short distance from each other and flicked our lines into the choppy water. Almost as if expecting us, 
a breeze had kicked up across the surface of the lake to assist us in our fishy endeavors. When there are natural disturbances in the water, line and tackle become difficult for fish to recognize as the deadly snares they are. Five minutes passed, then ten, but neither of us attracted even a sampling nibble. I'm going down the shore, an impatient Walter informed me, to Weedy Bay. Mama said to stay where we could hear her, I reminded him. Well, you listen for her and come get me when it's supper time. With that, he went crashing off through the shoreline brush. On went my luckless afternoon of angling. I would cast, watch my cork bobber float lazily into the shallow water, then reel it in and repeat the process. After another twenty minutes, my impatience and monotony stew was ready to boil over. I was about to call it quits and engage in more fruitful enterprise when I heard Walter bushwhacking a path back from the so-called Weedy Bay. I supposed he'd had enough as well and was ready to spend the precious hours of late afternoon doing something else. I soon realized he had returned for a different and far more infuriating reason. Dangling from the end of Walter's arm, with his index and forefingers punched through its gill to support its weight, was the longest, meatiest largemouth bass I had ever seen. Jealousy boiled up again. First he had won Hattie's affections, never mind that he'd also lost them, and now fate was rewarding him with this prized fish? The scales of injustice, no pun intended, were ever tipped in Walter's favor. It was enough to make me throw back my head and scream at the heavens. I didn't, of course. Instead, I returned my attention to my own bait and tackle, pretending I hadn't noticed him or his stupid fish. She's a whopper, isn't she? Walter exclaimed as he stopped beside me. I gave the fish a disinterested glance. Yeah, it's all right. All right? Walter was utterly scandalized. That's got to be the biggest bass that's ever come out of Lake Acheron. Is not, I argued. Cardi Phelan caught one twice that size last fall. You just made that up because you're jealous, said Walter, accompanying his reply with a shove. Anyway, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm going to bring it to Mama to cook for dinner. Maybe we can eat a salad, too, with all the weeds you catch. Walter had already begun his trek to the house, so he didn't see the rude gesture I flipped his direction. That was probably for the best. If he had, I likely would have eaten my own bait as punishment. Seething, I cast my impaled worm back into the lake. The afternoon's events had cemented a sort of resolve inside me. Despite the fact that I had been ready to give up, I was determined now to stay out until I could carry home a prize even mightier than Walter's Leviathan. Hell, I'd keep fishing until the lake froze over if that's what it took. For a while, it did indeed seem I was heading that direction. The shadow of the forest stretched its dark fingers further and further across the shallows, yet my bobber remained about as active as a chunk of driftwood. The minutes dragged into an hour, 
then longer. An aroma of meat, vegetables, and herbs wafted past me, and I knew Mama would soon call me in for dinner. Time was running out. Exasperated and fed up, I dug into my compost pail and unearthed every slithering nightcrawler I could find. In a move of sheer desperation, I stabbed each one of those bastards onto my hook. For all I knew, it may have been the largest mass execution in Pennsylvania's history, but I was a boy beyond such Christian values as mercy or humility, and I would have killed a thousand worms if it meant one monster fish to shove in Walter's smug face. With every fiber of strength in my scrawny muscles, I launched line, bobber, hook, and bait as far as I could into the lake. My annelid cannonball sent up a geyser of water as it hit Acheron's surface and hurtled down into the depths. Bearing such formidable weight, the bobber struggled to stay afloat. Only a thin nub of cork remained visible above the waterline. I fixed my eyes upon it, watching and waiting. That was when the call I'd been dreading rang out through the dim light of evening. Peter, dinner, Mama cried. Come inside. The voices of internal debate spoke up at once. If I ignored her, such direct disobedience meant certain doom whenever Daddy came home. If I pretended I hadn't hurt her, this would land me in hot water for a different reason. Mama had explicitly ordered me and Walter to remain within earshot, thus leaving me in violation of her earlier command. Resistance was useless, and I knew it. Besides, what would I accomplish out here? Walter's bass had apparently eaten all the other fish in the lake. The day had defeated me. Beaten, I cranked my reel. My fishing line jerked and tightened so abruptly, I almost dropped the pole. I hadn't caught so much as a weed all afternoon, but here, at the end of it, like the twisting of a barbed fishhook in my wounded pride, came a snag which bent my rod double. I yanked the pole side to side and up and down, but whatever I was caught on refused either to budge or break. With a sigh, I opened my reel to create some slack. I would bite through my fishing line and be done. Less a hook, yet finished with this awful fishing and this awful day. But before I could clamp my teeth upon it, the line went taut again. I realized then that I could actually hear it vibrating, like a steel cable humming in high winds. My fingers curled and tightened around the pole's cork handle. This was no snag. My worm bomb had worked. Fish on! I dug my heels into the lake shore's rich earth. Grandpa always told me having a firm base was the most important component to fighting a fish successfully, and I had the feeling I was in for the fight of my life. Although I suspected the hook was already well set, I made certain by jerking the pole's tip upward. The fish, whatever it was, didn't appreciate that little maneuver. To the left it streaked, then to the right, dragging my skinny arms with it. 
careful not to let my excitement get the better of me, I cranked my reel gently, coaxing the fish toward the shore. After a minute's wrestling, twenty feet out had been reduced to fifteen. At ten, my fishy foe regained some of its fighting spirit and surged toward deeper waters with such fury I thought my line might melt from the friction. I growled when I saw how much ground I had lost. The stupid fish was further out now than when I had first hooked it. Already my fingers and forearms were aching. Part of me wanted to give up, to let the fish win. But I realized that letting the fish win meant letting Walter win too, and I would have none of that. So the life-and-death struggle went on. In my imagination, I saw the movie bill, Peter versus the Lake Monster. Again I drew him into the shallows. Again he fled for the depths. Back and forth we went, each contender wearing the other down inch by painful inch. How long that struggle lasted, I don't know. You have a way of losing track of time during those angling battles. But when I at last began to gain consistent ground, the sun had already sunk into its celestial bed. Twilight alone remained when, sweat-soaked and sore, I at last hauled my catch ashore. I gasped. While fighting this devil, I had imagined many fish of differing species and size. But nothing could have prepared me for what now lay at my feet. It was a pike, the meanest fish in the lake. At almost four feet long, it could have gulped down Walter's bass in a single snap of its razor-toothed jaws. Conquered and prostrate, the pike glared up at me with hateful eyes as I knelt over its vanquished form. In hindsight, I should have known better. Right away, I should have dragged the fish further inland and appraised my glorious catch there. But I didn't. And so, with one trick left up its gills, my adversary gave a wild thrashing of its head, snapped my line, and flopped ten measly inches into the safety of Acheron's warm waters.